It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That's Emily Van Buskirk. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm feeling a lot more alive than when we recorded the good old re- recap podcast. So you're, yeah, you're no longer jet lagged, hopefully. I don't know that I ever get jet lag. I think I just, I'm just dead inside a little bit after these trips, like during and then after, but once I get like a little bit of sleep in me, normal in in my own bed, I feel better. So today I feel good. That's good. I mean, it's already Tuesday. So you got like two more days before you have to reverse. Oh my God. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) I forgot it was Tuesday until you said that. So that's great. (laughs) Are, Are you going to any games this weekend or? Just yeah. Yes, we actually. I'm so excited, and I can say this on the podcast because this will go up after the time we announce it. But going to the Notre Dame Cincinnati game in South Bend, and we are kicking off the Joey Chestnut College Football Eating Team Tour presented by Sideline Sass. So we Mm. will be going with Joey that day, and he will be picking i guess is the right word the first inaugural members of his college football eating team from notre dame's roster so that would be interesting i mean it's fine to me though because i don't think there's anyone less notre dame fan than joey chestnut like notre <laughs> dame's the golf clap of fan bases and joey chestnut right. shot 70 hot dogs down his throat in 10 minutes well, it's funny. We were talking about like, okay, which team and where should we go for this first one? And Joey now lives in Indy. So this is very close to him. Convenient. Um, right. And it's easy to get. And he, I think he may become a Notre Dame fan because mm-hmm. of his proximity now. Um, but the, the, I guess the, the line in, in between the two is they're both like, they, they tout that they're champions. So, you know, Joey mm. Chestnut is a literal world champion eater and the Notre Dame fighting Irish play like they're champions today. So, you know, um, they, well, that's what they say, at least. That's what the so, sign says. Yeah. That's what the sign says. So I mean, you might as well put two champions together and see what happens, but it's going to be fun. We're going to probably have some of the offensive linemen after do this challenge. And if mm. they can complete the challenge, the food challenge, then they get to be the first members okay. of the team. So if you're going to be at the Notre Dame game for Cincinnati on Saturday, please be on the lookout for us. We will be at tailgates and hanging out with Joey Chestnut. So. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'll be happy for whichever Notre Dame lineman wins this. I just <laughs> would prefer if they blocked better. That's all. Yeah. Well, That's... maybe it'll inspire them now that they, if they make the team, they have a big responsibility to hold up oh, you know, yeah. no, the image. So it's fine. Uh, <laughs> Should be a no, good game, though. We'll get awesome. to that. It's an awkwardly timed game. I'll talk about that. That's like our yeah. third game on the list because of the way we do the order. But uh, mm-hmm. I hate NBC's product so much and part of it's just them simply making their Notre Dame home games 2 30 eastern time because if you want to watch the Notre Dame game from start to finish it means your like first block of viewing for the day is chopped up and you like can't see the end of all the noon games which is early yeah you have to turn away from noon game you can obviously do whatever setup you have because sometimes couching it's the way to go with like an iPad a laptop two TVs you know yeah But, but you still have to turn away from a game to go to watch the Notre Dame one early it's just dumb and they always, I like it. Angles and I hate it. 
I think for going to the game as a fan and then for what we're doing, it's nice because you don't have to get up crazy early to get out to tailgate. And then you you don't don't have to be out super late for us after the game. It's ideal because we're not working in the press box till midnight. So two 30 kicks are nice, but we will miss all of the other football, unfortunately. But That's all I'm getting. It's like, I know why NBC chooses like that time slot and like, it just, I don't love it. Uh, yeah. But we've got other games to talk about before then. We've got games. To Let's talk, talk about, about the one game I will be able to watch. Other Friday than night. Yeah, yep. we got one Friday night game at yep. seven thirty. Friday night, Houston at Tulsa. Uh, I mm. think it's going to be a very interesting game. Two teams who you know it's the comb over records three and one versus one and three, but they got here in a pretty different way. Uh, you know, you look at the schedule. Houston's played kind of nobody, and they lost to a Texas Tech team that I think is bad. Uh, I just do. I'm not trying to be mean to them, but that there's a lot of consensus that if you had to put one big 12 coach on the hot seat, it's Matt Wells. And it's because their defense is atrocious and their offense isn't what it used to be. Right. Uh, And you lost that game and you lost it, giving up a massive halftime lead. Um, Then you played rice, scrambling Navy. And I'm sorry, again, (laughs) with all due respect, those wins mean nothing to me this year. They just don't Tulsa. You're going to lose to Ohio state. Oklahoma State should be the more talented team most years. You shouldn't lose to UC Davis. We've been through that a hundred times, but <laughs> you know, you've got a chance in conference play to prove that that was kind of a fluky game. Uh, what do you think goes on here? It's one of these things. I, the more I delve into this AAC business, the less I feel like I actually know about it. You know what the, I mean? Yeah. The middle of the pack is incredibly interchangeable at times. Yeah. Like it's weird. It's what. like, on paper, Houston should probably win this game. I think because as well, their defense is not great mm-hmm. at all. At least they have the offense that can get them going, right? Technically. I, I they on paper they do, but they haven't been explosive right. at all on offense, even though they really have the right. guys who should be able to. Right. You know? But you know, at the same time, on paper, I don't think Tulsa's offense is anything special. They've got right. a good running game and I like them in the trenches, but they're not score thirty points a game special, or at least they aren't on paper. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's hard to tell. And, you know, I think it's also two coaches who are frankly, at least as far as this conference goes, have a kind of hot seat going. This Philip Montgomery's yeah. had a couple of good years, but he's been down more than he's been up. Right. And it's not great. Again, one in three, you can explain away a couple of those losses. You can't lose to UC Davis and one in three. <laughs> you can, can also lose. get fired at one in three. If you're a Georgia Southern's coach, if so. you're, plenty of coaches can, <laughs> you know, coming off a trip to the AAC championship game, <laughs> One and three feels like a really bad yeah. kick in the, you know, kick in it the It does. Uh, yeah. You know, in Houston, they're paying Dana Holgerson a lot of money to produce so a lot much better money. Than he he's not, he's getting paid like a, you know, kind of a high tier power five coach, not at all mm-hmm. like a G5 coach. And he is not even coming close to producing what is expected at Houston. You know, it's a Houston yeah. team that should always be with the resources they have, the facilities, the money, the history, the location should always be a top two or three team in the conference and they're just not under Dana. So both those seats are hot. I think it's very interesting. Uh, You know, I think when it comes down to the game, Excel, if if Tulsa can maintain that balance they had against Arkansas state, they'll put Houston's defense in a rough spot. If they become overly reliant on either the running game or the passing game, that's where they'll run into issues. Uh, Yeah. Vice versa, I think Houston needs to be explosive on offense, which they really haven't been. They need to start showing that ability to go downfield. Those are my thoughts. Um, <laughs> those are those are very very good analysis thoughts. I like them. Oh, thank you. I'm still going, even though I feel like I should pick Tulsa because it's at home for them. I'm gonna go Houston, Tulsa? and I think it's gonna be like a field goal. Yeah, it's a three point. I'm sorry, three and a half point Tulsa spread. I think. Oh, it is. Okay. But you can generally speaking determine or you can generally speaking, give three points to the home team, which means it's like basically a pick them game. And if this yeah. was a neutral site, they'd say pick them is what that means. And that's kind of how I feel about Tulsa is a weird place to go play. Uh, you know, it's a usually not that full of a stadium. It's smaller even when it is full, but teams have a hard time when they go in there. I'm going to pick Tulsa, I think. Okay. I'm going to go Houston. So that'll be good for us. Yeah. Change it up a little, see what we're at. Yeah. 
I'm excited to be able to watch the whole game Friday night. So I am too. Yeah. I am excited for that game because again, I think it's going to tell us a ton about who those teams are going forward as yeah. conference play gets going. Uh, moving over to the Saturday slate, we've got one noon kick. It's Memphis at Temple. Memphis fans will remember Temple is the team that beat them on a pretty questionable call, to be honest. Uh, the year that they went to the Cotton Bowl is their only regular season loss that year. Uh, Temple does give Memphis trouble, but those Temple teams were frankly better constructed than this one is. Right. Uh, I think, I don't think that there's a way Temple wins this game, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think it's Memphis should win it. Uh, yeah. They're going to, they're pissed. They're coming out of a game that they had. Which by the way, I glanced, this is off topic, but uh I glanced at UTSA schedule. They might be undefeated this year. No way. UAB's in maybe Louisiana tech are the only two games I'd say are like possible losses going forward. It's a pretty, that's wild. It's a cakewalk to the uh, conference USA championship game again, other than UAB. Uh, but yeah, that's wild. Meet me. They might be, they might be competing for that. So maybe that loss isn't as bad as it seems then for Memphis. 21, nothing lead. I mean, yeah, that's not great. (laughs) It it is bad. It's as bad. (laughs) At the end of the year, you might look back and say, we only lost by three to that team. It's just, you know, but that's projecting, uh, no, what are you? This say? is just a this is just a big mismatch for me. Mm-hmm. You know, the type of team that Temple is is just not built to hang with the type of team that Memphis is. So, I think, and it's sad because uh, you know I love like I want Temple you, to be up there. Do, but... I know you like that Temple tough attitude that they're supposed I do. to have. Uh, and you like I know that you like the coaching staff up there. I do love their coordinators. I love the cherry and, and white and I want them to be good, but I, this one is yes. going to be tough. Temple it's, is still like 70% underclassmen on that roster. Yeah. And it's just almost impossible to be good when you're that young. It just is. So like, yeah, I, I know I'm critical of Rod Carey, the head coach up at Temple. Yes. And I don't think that's unfounded, you know, with, what the product has been on the field. It's, yes. it's not like he inherited nothing. He inherited a team that, you know, whose coach was poached by a power five team and was going to a bowl game that year. You didn't yeah. inherit nothing. So that's why I have my complaints about him is the regression, but uh, it is hard to win with the roster that young. It looks yeah. like Dewan Mathis is the quarterback going forward at Temple. Uh, you've got to make sure you're putting him in a position to succeed because yeah. If that Memphis defense blind starts gain after him, he's going to run into trouble. Uh, if Temple is going to pull off an upset, they need to do it by winning the turnover battle, I think, significantly by like two or three turnovers <laughs> winning it and also committing like no penalties. You know, part of their huge, <laughs> which one of their huge issues against like Boston College was just a ton of penalties, like in silly yeah. ones that they didn't need to commit. Cut that stuff out and you'll make it a closer game than maybe Memphis is comfortable with. Uh, for Memphis, they need to find the running game again. Make you know that's like the heart and soul of that offense. They yeah. don't really have it right now. Find that again, and when you are throwing the ball, spread it around a little bit better. Yeah, Those are- I feel like they have two guys, Sean Dykes and Javon Ivory, who have 100 plus receiving yards. Mm-hmm. But it's it's it needs to be more yeah. people. I mean, there's guys out there utilizing. Tw- I was watching Maryland. Tagovailoa, he utilized a team a program high 12 receivers. There's no need to just have two or three it's, guys. Yeah, in the basically, roster. Dykes the tight end and Austin the wide receiver on the outside, <laughs> yeah. like the only two that you throw to. It's not. It's yeah. predictable. That's the issue. Is it's just predictable. Yeah, you know, it is. Uh, those guys are great players. I'm not putting them down. I'm just. It's no wait, right. You yeah, know, like, like with anything else, if you know what's coming, you know what's coming. Uh, I'm picking Memphis. How about you? Yeah, I'm gonna go Memphis too. I just yeah. I wanted you know. I, I, I figured. Pick, I, I think it's gonna be like. Assume. No, it's fair. I think it's going to be at least two touchdown games. So, okay. Uh, our big game for the week, the one yes. that you're going to, 2 30 mm-hmm. on NBC because NBC sucks. Cincinnati at Notre Dame. And I'm oh, just boy. talking about their actual production of the game. I'm not making a full comment on the network. It's fine. Right. Not an all encompassing <laughs> statement. Got it. Yes. I just don't like their production of Notre Dame games, which I watch all of because I write about Notre Dame. Uh, yes. You're really the one I should be asking questions to in this one. How do you think, how do you think Notre Dame will lose the game? Notre Dame will lose the game by just getting dominated 
on the offensive line. Their offensive line is a disaster. Really? Uh, is it like because they're young or? It's a lot of things. Okay. Through four games, <laughs> Notre Dame has played four left tackles. Oh, wow. Uh, that's part of it. It's not all of mm-hmm. it. Uh, you know, they brought in Kane Madden, the Marshall transfer, who was an All-American at Marshall last year, and he's looked a little bit lost. Really? Well, it's different. It is different, but, you know, they brought him in to cover up a hole. Uh, Four guys from the offensive line last year graduated, and they just didn't properly replace them. I don't know if it's a development thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a development thing because Notre Dame – so, what's his name? Uh, Liam Eichenberg, the left tackle for Notre Dame for the past four years, was drafted by the Dolphins in the second round. He's the first left tackle that Brian Kelly has ever had at Notre Dame who wasn't a first-round draft pick. Before him, it was Zach Martin, Ronnie Stanley, and uh, Mike McGlinchey. Like, they are a dominant offensive line program. That's how they're built. Although I will say, Mike McGlinchey, a little disappointing against the Packers with some of the guys the, that let through to, to get to Jimmy G. Still a top 10 pick. Which is, which <laughs> I was more, not impressed with his play. Right. I don't watch a lot of NFL, and I was just like, who's that guy letting guys through? And they're yeah. like, oh, that's Mike McGlinchey. He, he's like, not Ooh. been great in the NFL, to be honest, but he was a top 10 pick, which is the point I'm. Okay. Which means I didn't know he went college. to Notre Dame. Yep. He went to Notre Dame. Quentin wow. Nelson, the uh, perennial all pro guard in Indianapolis. He's a Notre Dame guy. Like they're all over the NFL. It's great Notre Dame lineman from the Brian Kelly era. It's how they were really built. This year's okay. offensive line is terrible and there's really no excuse for it because they recruit all top 100 linemen. Because if you want to go to the NFL, you go to Notre Dame as a lineman. It's one of those things, you know, you want to go to the NFL as a wide yeah. receiver. Alabama is a great spot for you. Offensive lineman, Notre Dame. It's they go together. The guys this year are not clicking. Uh, here, I've got this one down. Uh, 21 sacks, 39 tackles for loss on the season. Last week against Wisconsin, nine yards rushing. That's when you include <laughs> sack yardage, uh, which you're supposed to. Uh, that It's mm-hmm. a mess. Uh, part of that's on Jack Cohn. He's a little bit indecisive in the pocket, doesn't have a great feel for it, and he's not athletic the way Ian Book was where he could run away from it. But a right. lot of it's on the offensive line. Cohn got hurt, and they, uh, Drew Pine was the backup who came in against Wisconsin. Uh, they let I swear to God, it was like they opened the door and let the defensive end it, who just obliterated him on his blind side that set up Wisconsin to take the lead at one point in that game. Uh, you know, and actually that is another thing I should talk about really quickly. Mm-hmm. Jack Cohn got hurt last week against uh, Wisconsin, looked to be in pretty bad pain with an ankle injury. He was a lot of name pins expected to be replaced by Tyler Buckner. Buckner was dealing with a hamstring issue. He also wasn't listed as the second string guy on the depth chart. Anyways, Buckner's a true freshman who didn't play his senior year of high school due to the pandemic, uh, but he's considered a stud recruit at quarterback. So Drew Pine, another highly touted recruit came in, uh, but who's been in the program came in and he played very well against Wisconsin better than Cone did, frankly. Right. Uh, Cone stats since Florida state have fallen off. He was like a 70% completion guy against Florida State. He's like 50% in the past two games. It's not been great. His arm strength isn't there. His accuracy isn't there. Kelly insists that he's the guy going forward. But I think you'd be insane to think it isn't an open competition every day in practice, especially if his health is at all questionable, uh, just from what we've seen. And Kelly, for those who don't know, just lies (laughs) to the media about that type of thing. He doesn't (laughs) care about lying to the media about that. If you ask him how healthy is this guy, he'll go, Nope, not healthy. And then they'll be out there next week or he's fine. Don't worry about it. And you don't see him the rest of the year being guys arm in a sling. You know, it just, he doesn't like to tell, tell you things. Uh, that's another storyline you're going to hear about a lot. Though is Brian Kelly, the coach uh, last week, he passed Newt Rockney for all time wins at Notre Dame, uh, which is remarkable. First off that he was able to do that because, you know, mm-hmm. Newt Rockney's a legend. It's also remarkable that he's done without winning a national championship. Uh, a lot of people, yeah. wonder, if he coached in a different era, he would have a national championship. I just want that out there. If he coached in like the 1980s, the way Lou Holtz did in 2012, mm-hmm. they would have gone to the play of the Fiesta Bowl against like the 10th, like against like a Kansas state type team. And they would have won the game and got it voted national champion. He plays in a different era. It's much harder to win. Now you try beating yeah. Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney every year. It isn't easy to do, you know, it's a lot of people who, you know, are fans of Michigan and Jim Harbaugh or, insert school here that's making fun of Notre Dame for not winning championships. You know, it's tough to do. This is an elite program. Yeah. They just don't win national championships. Also Marcus Freeman, the Notre Dame defense coordinator was since he's last year. I'm talking a lot right now. So I'm going to take a breath and let you talk. 
I don't really like. I don't even know how to follow that. I'm, but there, I've got a there lot are a lot of storylines for this. I'm, I'm sure you do. There are a lot of storylines about this game. But something that I think is interesting that you know is not an on the field thing per se is how this has playoff implications. Yeah. Um, you go into this game and I talked to some people at Notre Dame today mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I bet looking at your schedule, you never realized that this was going to be the kind of game that it is. I mean, a top 10 matchup. You always knew Cincinnati was going to be a good opponent, sure. but this is crazy that they're both <clears throat> top 10. Yeah, right? there's, there's a lot of Notre Dame fans who have no respect for Cincinnati. Like and a lot of people in Notre Dame media who have no respect for Cincinnati uh, yeah. because of the G5 label next to them. They just right. don't believe that there's a chance that they could compete with them. I think that those fans are in for You have to earn that And, and again, and... media. A lot of Notre Dame media feels this way too. And I think they're all in for a rude, rude, uh, rude awakening. I think it's a matter of they don't pay attention uh, to other teams. Yeah. As I will say this. I do like Notre Dame. I root for them. So many people in Notre Dame like fandom don't pay attention to anyone in the sport besides Notre Dame and their knowledge of the sport besides Notre Dame is limited at best. It's very frustrating sometimes to deal with. And I think you'll see that a lot of kind of a condescending look at a G5 program, even if they've got that top 10 ranking. Uh, Yeah. Well, I don't think Brian Kelly and the team are. are No, no, not, not them personally. (laughs) Brian Kelly's a Cincinnati uh, athletics hall of famer. Like he has all the respect for Cincinnati. Marcus Freeman, like I said, he was on that staff last year. He's like family friends with Luke Fickle. Like there's a lot of ties between the coaching staffs. They're not going to overlook these guys. They're not going to be like, you know, I mean, what, what's Marcus Freeman doing? If he's like, Oh, that's like my best friend coaching across the way. Ah, who cares? Like, no, you're going to take that seriously. Uh, Yeah. I will say a couple more things before I actually talk about the game itself on the field. Uh, if you're looking at the Wisconsin win last week and going, man, Notre Dame kicked a generally good Wisconsin teams, but pretty bad. No, they didn't. Uh, yeah, that was Wisconsin, very final yeah. score. Uh, that was through, you know, if you're just looking at the final score, I'm saying, you know, mm-hmm. through three quarters, it was like a 10, 10 game. Wisconsin had the lead in the fourth quarter, a kickoff return for touchdown, two pick sixes at the end of the game. Uh, Notre Dame had like 31 points on 60 yards in the fourth quarter. It was a fluky, fluky into that game. A lot of fun, but fluky. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I'll also say if, again, you think, oh, Notre Dame doesn't win the big game. They're not that good. Notre Dame has 26 straight home wins dating back to 2017 when they lost to Georgia by one. They've won 19 straight regular season games. The last time losing to a G5 school was 2016 against Navy. Like that's a long time for all of those. Yeah. Something that, you know, I didn't bother to check since they lost to an unranked team, but I think it's also 2016 off the top of my head. Uh, and that was a bad Notre Dame team. They reinvented themselves after that season in a completely brand new image. And since then, they've been dominant. So it is going to be a difficult game uh, for Cincinnati just because it's a tough place to go play, even though the fans are not the loudest by any means. Mm-hmm. It's a historic place. It's a very well-coached team. All those things are something to consider. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, on the field itself, like I said, Notre Dame's got a weird quarterback thing going on right now. Mm-hmm. Probably going to be Jack Cohn, but who knows for sure how much. Tyler Buckner's healthy. They'll bring him in to run some read option and give a different look. The offensive line for Notre Dame is terrible. Cincinnati should dominate it uh, up front. You know, there's no reason why my Jay Sanders shouldn't have like three or four sacks in this game. It's that bad. Uh, yeah. You know, who is the guy? It's... um. Tosh Baker is the left tackle that started against Wisconsin and it might be a crime against the quarterback. If they let him play again in this game, <laughs> he was that bad. I think Michael Carmody, the backup left tackle is healthy again. So that's the thing left tackles had a lot of injuries. Um, you know, I think Carmody's healthy again for this game, but I'm not certain of that. Again, they keep it pretty hush hush on injuries during the week. Yeah. Uh, you know, Cincinnati is coming off a bye week. Seven teams do that to Notre Dame this year. You know, that's a not easy thing to deal with is everyone gets a bye week before you. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know if Cincinnati has anyone who can cover Michael Mayer. 
is the one thing I'll say about the Notre Dame offense and where they can move the ball. Cincinnati can cover the Notre Dame wide receivers. Uh, Lindsey's a speedster. Uh, Kevin Austin's a good receiver, but since he's got guys who can cover them, I don't think since he has anyone who can match up with the tight end, Michael Mayer, who is the best tight end in the country. Wow. And that's where Notre Dame's going to move the ball. If they're able to move the ball. Um, on Cincy's side of it, Ritter needs to throw downfield and throw downfield early in this game. That's because of Kyle Hamilton, the All-American safety. Kyle Hamilton's a top three draft pick this year. He's wow. insane. Um, throw it downfield and make him respect that you're going to test him downfield. Do not let him come up to the line of scrimmage because he can take away the running back, the quarterback, and your passing option in an RPO all-in-one. It's not something that you should worry about. Uh, I, this is a visual medium as we all know. So I'm going to describe a couple plays against Florida state. He started covering a corner in the slot on the far side of the field and then coming towards like the can't, you know, the broadcast booth ran in from the hash ran and made a diving interception on the sideline on a throw against Jordan Travis, Florida state against Purdue. There was a fourth and one and they ran a jet sweep and he came from the safety spot on the far side of the field to make a tackle for loss. Like, He's instinctual. He's fast. He flies. He is absolutely the best, like probably the best defensive player in the country, period. End of story. Sorry, Kayvon Thibodeau. Sorry, Singletary, whoever you want, but there, he's better than them. Uh, and that will be, you need to put him in a position where he cannot play at the line of scrimmage. You need to make him back off. Otherwise you're not going to, you know, he's, he's going to create issues. Um, Notre Dame has been a little susceptible to big plays, but they're trying to create more havoc than they have in the past. That's Marcus Freeman's defense. Try to, you know, just get those shots when you can. Uh, Notre Dame's had issues with injuries at linebacker. Try to run on them a little bit. It's going to be difficult, though, to move the ball for either team. And I think so, I'm done. Do you think it's going to win? Cincinnati. I don't think Notre Dame can score. I think, mm -hmm. yeah, my gut. So at this point, I do think it's a complete coin flip, but my gut says Cincinnati wins this game. Okay. I, I think Notre Dame's offense is in trouble. Sounds like it. I'm going to go Notre Dame. Okay, that's fine. You know, I, I said a lot there. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I don't know which team it made me, me sound think is better, but I do think they're just as even. It sounded team. like neither is better I, from I, what you said. Honestly, I'll, I'll describe it. I have a I'm kind of bummed of to be going for, to the game now. I, I think it's going to be a low score. I, I have a ton of respect for Notre Dame's defense. I have a ton of questions about their offense is the best way to put it. And in kind of the same way, versa, I have a ton of respect for Cincinnati's defense. Yeah. I don't have as many questions about their offense. I just know what they're going up against at Notre Dame. I only mentioned Kyle Hamilton on that defense, but their front seven on the defensive line, especially has like three or four NFL defensive linemen on it every single year. Uh, Jordan Botello, mm -hmm. the linebacker is young and he's excellent. You know, Bo Bauer's excellent. JD Bertrand's been a, you know, swallowing people whole, you know, there's a couple of issues at corner for Notre Dame, but Kyle Hamilton can erase those issues. And that's, you know, it's just tough to move. Like the first couple of weeks, if you look at them, they were adjusting to the new system. They figured it out. They've allowed 13 points. The last two games they've played uh, in both games to two big 10 schools, you know, don't get me wrong. Big 10 schools aren't offensively like explosive teams, but still it means something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Put teams down like that. Uh, for sure. And they've noted him forces a lot of turnovers, a lot of sacks, things like that. Uh, but again, I'm picking Cincinnati. I think they're a little bit better rounded. I think Notre Dame's offensive line is going to be what that's going to cost them a game at some point. I think it's this game. Uh, we'll see. We will. Okay. I'm going to let you talk a lot more for this next one. I, I just <laughs> dominated that. Uh, 3.30 kick it's... Tulane at ECU. Please start talking. I'm going to drink water or something. <laughs> Tulane at ECU. Um, how do I even begin with Tulane? It, how you feel about, actually, I'm not sure that there's any team that you feel about teams the way I feel about Tulane, but I, I yeah, that's true. I guess maybe Hawaii. one day we'll find them. <laughs> I want this to be a good game and I think it will be. Both of the programs um, have had some success, have played well in certain games, but do not live, have not lived up to their full potential. And if they both try and do that in this game, we could be in for a heck of a, a shootout here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But that being said, it is at East Carolina. Tulane has been away. Like, I feel like their entire season has been a road game. So I don't really know if they even feel 
at all like a, an environment cha- shift because they didn't look that comfortable at home, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what type of crowd is there for the away game because, you know, yeah. if you look at their crowds, Oklahoma, because of the way that game was up, wasn't able to sell more than a handful of tickets, all things considered. Then it was a you mm-hmm. know neutral site game against an FCS school. The Ole Miss game had right. like a three-hour weather delay, so a lot of fans didn't make it to that game. So that was a pretty empty stadium too, especially for most of the second half when it was a blowout. Uh, and then you were at home against uh, UAB, and you know it's just you know that's a home game. So I don't know what ECU's crowd is going to be like for this game. Yeah, but if they're in big numbers, it could be a really tough environment. Yeah, you know when ECU's fans show up. They're one of the better like fan bases, but one of the better places to see a game in the conference. You know, I mean, Fulton Aylers versus Michael Pratt. I don't. It's a consistency thing. Who's more? I don't consistent? love it. I, I don't. I do love it because I think it's it's all about can Holton Aylers make the right decision and be consistent throughout the game? Can mm-hmm. Michael Pratt avoid those kind of streaks of turnovers that he goes on? Yeah. Uh, to me, that's what it comes down to: is which team avoids turnovers in this game. Yeah. I think, honestly, I. I think they're pretty evenly matched Tulane a little bit better overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Tulane's just ahead of ECU in terms of where they're at building the program, in my opinion. But yeah, it's tough for me to choose who I think would win this game. I think Keaton Mitchell for ECU needs to have a big game to take the pressure off Aylers and keep a balanced offensive approach. But, you know, Tulane's pretty strong on the front seven, so they might not have an easy time pushing them around. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Somebody was saying that this game features two of the three worst teams in the AAC. That's that I agree. I think that's that's very, very hard. I think neither of these are, I think that's someone who stopped watching the AAC in 2016 or so. (laughs) Probably. But I saw that and maybe not. And I was like, there's Navy temple USF. Those are the three worst. I'm sorry to those programs, but that gets where you're at right now. Yeah. Uh, Tulane ECU, you know, you might argue ECU's fourth worst, but Uh that's, I don't think that's based on, this year, I think that's based on reputation. Right. And Tulane's he's in the three building. Tulane's yeah. been to three straight bowl games and they've had a mm-hmm. weird, weird, weird September because of the hurricane. Exactly. That's, again, two good, like two top 10 power five programs that they've played. So yeah. like, throw out Tulane's out of conference this year I, in terms of how you judge them. ECU should have beaten South Carolina, probably shouldn't have beaten Marshall. Two and two is, I think, a fair record for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that they're that bad. I think that they're just not consistent. Yeah. It will be tough to watch defensively. I understand that it's going to be an offense-heavy game because neither defense is. Yeah, no, I think that Pratt throwing into ECU secondary could be an issue for him because they've got a pretty good secondary. Not great on the front seven, but a pretty good secondary. I wish somebody from Tulane would step up from a, a defensive point and lead. They've always had that they one lost, guy. Yeah, they know. lost a couple of really good defensive yeah. ends in the, uh, you know, just to graduation NFL last yeah. year. And, they had more know, leadership last year like, than the year before. Got, so I'm blanking on the guy's name right now. They had an injury against Ole Miss at, to the defense, and I can't remember his name, so that's great radio. Uh, <laughs> it happens. And that was big. I really like Angela Anderson, the defensive end too. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, you know, Sometimes you have to rebuild a little. They've got a lot of good pieces, not a lot of great pieces right, right. now. And again, Tulane's kind of a tough place to recruit to because of yeah. various reasons, academic yeah. standards being one of them. Uh, who do you like? I got to go Tulane. I haven't picked against them all year, and I'm I probably gonna, won't. I'm going to go with the Pirates. I think they're right. the, I think home crowd wins, and I'm going to think on that. I yeah, they, they do have a good home environment right. from what I've heard, but... yeah. Uh, our other 3:30 games: UCF at Navy. Uh, Dylan Gabriel is out, of course, with a broken collarbone. That means freshman Mikey Keene is the next man up. I also expect yes. Joey Gatewood to uh, to play a lot. He is a uh, he was at Auburn with Gus in Kentucky. Uh, UCF has used him a little bit as like a running power quarterback. I bet we see a balance. Uh, what do you think we see from this game? I'm excited for the for the idea of freshman quarterbacks. Little Timmy, Team Timmy over here, and then you know. Yeah. getting to see a non-starter at, at UCF. It's going to be interesting to see how they, cause they had the buy, you mm-hmm. know, with, with everything that happened. So how they come out of that loss at Louisville and then the bye week and then into this game. I mean, it seems like it, that it's going to be an easy situation because it's Navy, but they had to go through a lot in that Louisville game to get mm-hmm. where they are. And it was damaging both physically and emotionally to a lot of people. So how they come yeah. out is going to be interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'll be interested to see how healthy is Isaiah Bowser. Is he able to play in this game? Is he, mm-hmm. is he tried to come back against Louisville in the second half and got like two touches and had to come out again. So how good is his knee going to be? Because he took a shot to his kneecap against Louisville uh, because, you know, let's face it with a freshman quarterback, you know, UCF's got good wide receivers who can get open on this knee be secondary but you may not be able to get them the ball as consistently as you'd like to. You're probably going to have to run a lot if you're UCF and have that power running game that Gus loves. Well, yeah. that requires Isaiah Bowser being healthy a lot. Of the, you know, there's other backs there, but Bowser's the pounder. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, 100%. The offense, offensive line's good at UCF, but they need, to, uh, they need to have a big day and help out the freshman quarterback, I think. You know, just do everything to make it simple for him. Uh, do you know, top of your head, when last time Gus Malzahn played a triple option team was? I do not. 2017 against Georgia Southern. He won 41 nice. to 7. Yep. Georgia Southern had a triple option? They've always been triple option. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, they lo- that's, Willie Fritz was there before then. Uh, Paul Johnson, mm-hmm. who coached at Navy, was there. Uh, and then Georgia Tech. You know, they've always wow. loved that triple. Yep. Uh, then uh, let's see here. What was I going to say? Yeah, UCF uh, on defense. I'm going to be interested to see how they do against the triple option. They'll still be as mm-hmm. – for a lot of guys, it's the first time they'll be seeing it. You know what I mean? If you transfer it into UCF, like uh, say uh, Big Cat Bryant, for instance, on the defensive line, I don't right. think he's seen the triple option ever, at least not since like high school. Uh, if you're the linebackers who didn't play it last year, you know, how much experience do you really have? It's a very young secondary, you know, a lot of the guys who would have played maybe most recently are gone. How are they prepared for an, an offense that you ostensibly, you have to be incredibly assignment sound. You can't be overly aggressive. You know, I think the safeties, they need to play downhill against this run, but you also can't get beat deep as Navy will take a couple shots on you when they lure the safeties up too far and slip guys behind you. Now they're not great at hitting them this year, but they're going to take those shots when they get the, uh, the inkling to do so. So I think it's probably a very good thing. You see, I've had the bye week before for that reason to get ready for it and be prepared. Yeah. Though I also kind of like having a bye week after Navy because the way Navy cup looks, it's nice to get a week to recover from playing the triple. So yeah. what side do you want? It's going to be physical. I, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously well, I'm going to go UCF, but yeah, I am too. Navy's think, yeah. only hope is turnovers. Yeah. And uh, they need to Scoring really limit, early. Possessions, limit possessions and play. Yeah. Early. yeah. They need a lead right off the bat and they need yeah. to limit possessions. And, you know, we'll see, but UCF is even without Dylan Gabriel, a much better well-rounded team than Navy is right now. I will say this in watching UCF at Louisville. Um, one of the things I noticed that they struggled with was uh, penalties. So you're going to yeah. wonder if, if, if how they clean that up, but yeah, with not, minus their leadership, you know, so, and Navy can I create bet there's a lot that of kind of infractions. I'm going to bet, you know, Matt Lee's not been entirely healthy either. I think he's going to be good to go for this game. He's the starting center who was all conference last year for UCF. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they had a couple infractions because it was just a different center last week. And you know what? I guarantee you a different quarterback this week creates issues with just the cadence yeah. and that count and those communication things. A freshman, he's going to probably get a delay of game or two. These are things just be prepared for. You know right. I mean? And that's what I'm saying. So if, if Navy can capitalize on those kinds of mistakes and then also control the clock a little more UCF struggled with that at Louisville as well with clock management and certain they things. So with the running quarterback, they always do. Houston yeah. always struggles with the running quarterback. Their linebackers yeah. are not great in containment for whatever yeah. reason, you know, it's a new system now, but they struggled, especially in the first half against uh, Cunningham last week. Yeah. Two weeks ago. So we could see it. We could see it be a little, you know, interesting, but then ultimately I think you see it pulls away. So yeah. Talent is talent at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Last uh, one. Yeah, that was quick, it feels, doesn't it? Maybe not. <laughs> I talked to I don't know. Listening to you talk about Notre Dame. 
I could have gone on so much longer. <laughs> I know, I believe it. I could have started talking about the visiting tunnel, which looks like it's gonna, you're entering the Roman Colosseum. It's like single file line to get out. <laughs> the whole Purdue drum thing that they had going. Anyways. You completely skipped over the fact that I'm going to be at the game, which means that there's going to be some sort of weirdness, craziness, chaos. Yeah. Well, let's pick out what's, what do we bet the weirdness is? I don't know, but something I have yet to go a weekend unscathed from drama and chaos. Maybe so we'll I don't know what it's going to be. a very nice red face Brian Kelly screaming fit. We haven't had one of those in a while. I'm hoping he, it's he not going to be something now. like. He, Brian Kelly wins too much now. We don't get the screaming fits anymore. Now, maybe he'll threaten to execute the team again. Oh, no. <laughs> No, he's already done that. I don't know how he'll have to do it, but well, I'm just again, saying. This is something that people like the national media that don't pay close attention to him don't really. He makes a joke like that like once a month where he like makes well, a joke and everyone just. No, he's not a funny person. He like he'll make right. a joke and at so a press conference or like a, at a booster's yeah. dinner and everyone will kind of look around like, why did he say that? That, you know, it, that didn't, he just has no to do it on media at all. It's like, TV. He, he, he doesn't have a feel at no. all. So time is everything. And, he does not wow. have it for he's comedy. Not, he's too, yeah. he's too, he can't worry least, about timing, yeah. right? At least he's been a head coach since 1991, you know, four different, he's, you know, a college football hall of fame head coach. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't need to be fine too. Uh, no, four, he does not. Yeah. Four o'clock, uh, USF at SMU. Once again, USF's bringing up the rear for games this week. Uh, just like, <laughs> oh, you got that. Uh, just like they are in the conference. <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's fine. You know, it's fine. It's true. It's true. It's, it is true. But they're coming into a game where they're very much the huge underdog. I think it's like 19 mm-hmm. and a half points. Not enough. <laughs> you don't think that's enough? I think SMU is going to drop 50. I think it's going to be a... <gasps> no. I, oh, I think SMU's got a lot of points in them this week. I you think, think they're upset. Okay. So here's what I'll say. I think USF's offense has shown great improvement. I think their defense has not. And SMU's offense is maybe the best in the conference. You know, I'm going to say SMU has the it's best the offense most in the conference. Efficient. I don't know if it's like, I don't know. It's if explosive. Best is, right. It's, it's, and that puts up a lot of points. It puts up a lot of points. I don't know that I would say it's like That's, the most well-oiled machine, but well, Tanner Mordecai is He's a gunslinger. He doesn't he's care where he, he threw three interceptions last week. I, I think just I'm just as long calling, as it offsets. It call yeah, call it like this. He's a gunslinger. He'll score 15 and give you like four free possessions too. Yeah, it's fine. Um, That's wild yeah. though to play like that. That's wild. It is. But I mean, you know, some guys just they trust their arm. I think they're gonna come in a little too cocky from beating their little rivals in their iron little skillet. Rivals. Ooh. I okay. They're you know other they're big twelve, big and strong. We were big twelve right, in Fort yeah. Worth. Right. I think we're going to see a little bit of iron skillet hangover. Is what I think. I don't think they're going to lose, but do I think that USF might? Because this is the thing about USF, they're scrappy. I give this. I give this to them. They they don't give up in games. They could have rolled over in. Okay, that that's very true against BYU. They could have. They could have. They were you down know, they, twenty-one, nothing, really quickly. Right. Could have just given up. But that's they didn't, and true. they're the little engine that could. And I love that about them. And I think that people come in, teams will come into games against them and be like, okay, it's USF. Like they're gonna sleep on them a little bit, I think. And then I'm not saying SMU is going to lose, but I think that USF might come out swinging and just surprise them a little bit. That's all. I'm just thinking about if I ever called USF a little engine that could, how much a little engine that I'd could. have to, I'd have to basically turn off, like delete my Twitter for a week. Oh and my God. It's it. a compliment. I love oh, this. Like one of my favorite children's books. Not if I said it, it's not. Honestly, I, I would love to be called that because it's like you, 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 you try and you try and you try and you don't give up. And like, you got that spirit. And I think that's the Jeff Scott fighting spirit. So Maybe. it was a compliment. Uh, I, I know, I, I know you meant as a compliment. I was just, uh, I get, taking it a different way, I guess. Uh, no, I think if USF wants to keep it close, they need to take shots throughout this game. You, SMU's defense right. is susceptible to giving up points. I will say that, Yeah. Uh, you know, for as much as I like their offense, they can give up some points. So go and, you know, take those shots with McLean. Like don't sit back and try to matriculate up the field go out there and be aggressive on offense on defense. Like I just said, 
if you know you trick Mordecai in coverage, he's not going to you know run out and throw it away. He's going to still try to get right. to a wide receiver. So maybe you can force a couple turnovers. Uh, I just don't think that you're stopping them enough to win this game in any circumstances. And I don't really think that you're stopping them enough to keep it particularly close is all. Uh, definitely don't give up. I think the first half is going to be... I think the first half is going to be interesting and then it, and then it won't be, you know, so I, I think tune yeah. in early, <laughs> tune in early. Uh, tune in early. <laughs> it also needs to be pointed out. I recently came to my attention that their punter is six foot eight inches tall. And I think mm. that's important that we all recognize uh, Brendan Hall. Six foot eight, <laughs> Amen. Punching, punching the football and doing nothing else. Just life. Do you think that that is an advantage because of how long his legs are like a pendulum just swinging or does it is take that, him longer that, to get the ball it, off and then he can get right. off easier? I don't know. I've got no idea if it's an advantage or not. I there has to be some eight. sports science. There has to be sports science to support. We should look into it. This is that's interesting. Uh, yeah. So, you yeah, know, you're, you're right though. SMU can't come in with a hangover. They can't overlook USF, but the thing is their game next week's against Navy. So I don't think you look, through Navy or you sorry, you don't look through USF to get to Navy right. this year or, and you don't look through USF to get to Navy or the bye week after that. You know what I mean? Like you, they just, have, yeah, you know, I just don't think that that's going to be a look through them game. I don't, I don't know that. I think Sunny Dykes is too good a coach to let them be that hungover coming into this game, to be honest. I, that's I think, fair, but he's also, he gets a little like swaggery sometimes. So I'm like, I could see it, but the, at the same time, no, not at all. I just like, I remember what he was like. He definitely has that like Southern swagger to him. But I think that anytime you have a team like this, that's four and oh, and they make it a point to talk every mm-hmm. time they release news that five and oh is like this big goal and, you know, be the first time since X amount. There's always that like complex that comes with being undefeated and, and mm-hmm. remaining undefeated. That, Sometimes you get a little caught true. up in that. That's very that's true. There's I'm a saying. lot of teams out there who, you know, it's sex biz in college football. You really, especially in the G5, you need to be undefeated to accomplish those like right. overarching goals to win the conference. You don't, but to win those overarching, like kind of like dreams right. for a lot of fan base goals, like, you know, SMU going to like the cotton bowl and winning the cotton bowl would be insane for them in the way it wouldn't yeah. be for a lot of other programs. Uh, you know, USF going and winning the orange bowl or the Fiesta bowl or the peach bowl, you know, same way it was huge for UCF in 2013 or 2017 when they won the Fiesta and peach bowls. You know what I mean? Like those are huge things, Yeah. but you can't do it at the G5 level unless you're in beaten, which does come with all this pressure every week. Uh, You know, and when, when the conference doesn't have that, but it definitely is easier. Like, you know, Alabama gets a loss off their back. They can kind of grow from it. You know what I mean? That other team and they get kind of that pass that other teams don't. Right. And there's so much opportunity this year, more than ever with Ohio state losing, you know, and, and Clemson losing. There's like this path. Yeah. Yeah. Clemson's out. Ohio state's definitely not that good. You know, like if there was ever a chance for, you know, an AAC school like Cincinnati or, you know, whoever. But I I also don't believe that they, they just find a different team. I think, you know, no, I'm serious. Like, oh, yeah. we've got, you know, an 11 and one Penn State, you know, we've got, you know, an 11 and one Oklahoma who hasn't looked particularly good. You know, right. it just ends up being how it is. It's crazy. I want to ask you, I know. Okay. Oh, so you're going to go SMU, SMU. I'm assuming. Yeah. I'm assuming you are going it, with them as well. Um, yeah, I have to. And Dallas. you went UCF in the last one, right? Yes, UCF. I did. Okay. So. My question to you before we wrap up is, did you see the reports about Colorado State and Air Force? Oh, come to the American? Yes. Are there new reports? Because I knew that. No, just. I was going to say, I was scared I missed something. I was probably like. No, you didn't miss anything. I didn't mean to to frighten you. But (laughs) I don't think that we've actually, we talked about realignment in a very abstract way. Mm -hmm. But now that, you know, Brett McMurphy is saying he believes next week we're going to hear, mm-hmm. you know, that the Air Force and, and, and Colorado State are going to join. And that's so different than the conversations that we had earlier. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago when right. it was announced in Colorado State and Air Force. I think for a lot of people are kind of those, eh, if they come, they come teams compared to UAB, San Diego State, Boise State, who were the other three that were like being talked about more. Uh, and I'll try to do it the best I can to explain why this is happening as far as I can tell. 
Yeah. Air Force is getting invited pretty strictly because a lot of people pay attention to the academies and Navy's already here. So you're trying to keep Navy around. So you're trying and to it's like a good meeting. Yeah. And a lot of people like watching the academies because they've got a connection. They were in the Air Force or their dad was in the Air Force or something. You know, they've got a some sort of familial relationship to the Navy. And that I think breeds a lot more attention than a random, say, than just a random Mountain West game would. You know what I mean? So uh, it's like a gimmick. I think it's a media gimmick. I think air, bringing, is... I think bringing Air Force in is a media gimmick to uh, get more eyes on. Because that's what right now the biggest thing for the conferences is, is they're going to have to renegotiate the media deal to some extent with three schools leaving. It's just not going to be worth the same. And there's a clauses that yeah. say that it can be renegotiated. That's why you've got to bring in programs that have eyes on them. Uh, Colorado mm-hmm. State is a great program for a couple of reasons. First off, it's near Denver. So that's the media market that you're trying to tap into. It's not in Denver, but it's near enough. Uh, they've also put a ton of money and investment into that program. Their facilities are excellent. It's a program that's trying to be good in everything except who they hired at head coach the last couple cycles. Steve Adazio was a terrible, 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 terrible hire. He was hated yeah. at Boston College by his players who hated him. You know, and he was hired because they went to Urban Meyer and said, who should we hire? And he gave them a list of his friends. It was done as poorly as it can be done. You know, I'm sorry, but Steve Adazio should not be a head coach in college football. He just shouldn't. Uh, Before that, they had Mike Bobo, who made some sense. It was an SEC offensive coordinator, but he just wasn't good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes you make a bad hire. And that's why I think a lot of people look down in Colorado State is because the wins aren't there. But I think it's a program right. that invests in itself and has plenty of potential. So I don't yeah. hate that. Um, I prefer San Diego State and Air Force from the Mountain <laughs> West for a couple of reasons. I mean, not Air Force, San Diego State and Boise State. Right. Uh, first off, they're much better at football, which is right. a huge thing for this conference. Second off, San Diego State especially is in a major, major media market. And now that the Chargers left, they're the only football show in town, which is a big deal. Yeah. If you look at a place like Orlando, it's a big deal to be the only football product in town. It makes yourself easy to market locally and really helps with that kind of uh, fan-based-driven exposure that the conference is looking for. Here's yeah. why they're more hesitant to come to the American. They need to see what that media deal is going to look like because they don't want to leave a situation, get to a worse one, and then have their travel expenses explode, especially for non-football sports. You know, right. you have to think when they join a conference, they're not just joining football. They also have to think about sending their gymnasts across the country on a Tuesday night. You know, they right. also have to think about sending their volleyball teams and their swimming teams and their track and field teams all the way to you know Philadelphia. That's not cheap to do consistently, and it may not be worth it financially for them. And that's kind of right. what they have to like balance. San Diego State's also making investments in their facilities. I really would like to see them in the American if this is the route you're going with it. Uh, but right now they're still, they're being more patient, right? Colorado State and Air Force, they're not going to get a better opportunity. San Diego State and Boise State, they could get a better opportunity. They're waiting. They want to see if the Pac-12 changes its mind about expansion. They want to see if yeah. the Big 12 brings in another round. They don't want to commit to the wrong conference like they did when the Big East was collapsing. Both of them did. You know, Boise State wants out of the Mountain West, but they don't want to be out for the first thing if it's not going to be better, you know? Yeah, there's all these different things to consider with those two where they just they have more options and they have more travel considerations to think about. Uh, That's why I'm like, why does it have to be like if people are waiting, why doesn't the American just wait? Like why? Because the Americans going to have to within a year get these teams replaced. Uh, If you think about like, you know, UCF, Cincinnati and Houston. It's pretty much been confirmed that they're all going to negotiate a higher buyout of the conference so that they can leave before the 23 season rather than the 24 season, uh, which is what, you know, the language says 27 months notice. That'd be before the 24 Mm -hmm. season. They're all out. They want to be out a year before that. Uh, You know, the American needs to bring a new team so they're not an eight team conference that has their, you know, media deal negotiated down to like a million dollars for that year. You know, you just can't let that happen. So you need to have, your next team's in place as soon as possible. And I think, and don't quote me, but I think Mike Resco is probably going to try to create a super G5 conference. Nice. That's what I would expect at this point is to try to like get all the top G5 programs. And this is the first round of it is seeing who you can get from the mountain West. And then again, UAB, who's also been talked about all of this just makes perfect sense from, again, investing in the program, 
They win on the field. They're right in the footprint. They're in a great football city. All those things make perfect sense to add UAB as well. They're the ones who I want to see added almost immediately is UAB. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you also, if you're the American, have to consider we need more basketball schools. They just lost a top 25 basketball program in a Cincinnati team that makes the tournament a lot. You know, they lost UCF who made the tournament not too long ago. You know, UCF women's basketball made the tournament this past year. You're like, that's a lot of, you know, concerns about what you're losing in that sport, which is a huge moneymaker as well. Uh, you know, you're losing some talented baseball, not as much as if ECU or Tulane left, but some talent, you know, you have to think about replacing all the sports, not just football, which is a whole other consideration. Yeah. It's also another reason San Diego state would be great because they're good at basketball. Yes, they are. Yep. Um, well, it's wild, wild days in the, in the AAC. Yeah. I, I also think, I mean, I've talked about, I think UTSA would be a good school to look at adding. I think that you, especially you know, now, I know you're like high on, the attention. if you want to kind of replace that Cincinnati footprint, you might want to look at Marshall. Uh, some people have talked about Buffalo, you know, it's tough though, to come up with the right thing because again, you just don't want to make it too expensive to travel for all the non-football sports. Yeah. But uh, that's fair. They could also hypothetically, you know, Navy's a football-only member. I'll be interested to see if Air Force is more than a football-only member. You know, yeah. And if Air Force is a football-only member, you probably have to look at, like, the Atlantic 10 basketball. For, like, would you add, like, St. Louis basketball? Do you add, like, St. Joseph's basketball? Like, it's a little bit weird. You it's know? a nightmare. I don't like it, any of it, this. No, it's definitely a wait and see. I think that what I just said is why what's happening is happening, and I do think Oresco is going to try to – build as big of a media based program as that's why so many American teams are based in cities as is it's all about TV dealership or dealership TV revenue, you know? Yeah. So we'll see. We will wait and see, and we will watch AAC football this weekend as much as we can. Yep. And we will only flip over to Ole Miss, Alabama, if Ole Miss is winning. <laughs> exactly. Which they won't be. So don't worry about it. You say that, but I think they're gonna I think they're gonna keep it close. Maybe, but Saban, there's no way Saban lets Kiffin beat him. Like I, think that, I don't care oh, if so he hires though. somebody to it would be so funny. It would be so funny. It's not gonna the, happen. The first former not. assistant to beat Saban's Lane Kiffin. He does it in the way that would frustrate Saban the most, which is just by he doesn't me. deserve it. I didn't say he deserved it. I said funny. I am saying it that he doesn't deserve it. I don't care if he deserves I'm actually it. more excited for the Arkansas Georgia game because I think that's more likely to be an upset. That'll than, be interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't think Arkansas has enough talent to win that game at Georgia, but but Georgia has enough shoot themselves in the foot ability to lose gonna the look, game. It's so. gonna look like something of the 1980s, isn't it? It's gonna be wild. It's gonna be wild. So and then of course Notre Dame Cincinnati is gonna be one people will keep their eyes on. Notre so. Dame Cincinnati is, I think, the most important game this weekend. It, it is for, for the college football everything. playoff implications. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, no, a loss eliminates Notre Dame from the playoff. It just does yeah. until they're in a conference or the playoff expands and they're not joining. It the does the same Let for Cincinnati. They have it to does, be undefeated. They're already kind of, uh, I mean, eliminated yes. from the playoff, but a loss could hypothetically eliminate them from the New York six ball. You know, a loss coastal Carolina might hop you in the rankings. If they don't ever lose, yeah. you're probably not getting that spot ahead of them back. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just Crazy. mentioned that UTSA looks like they might have a good shot right in the table that could create trouble down the line. If you've got a loss, yeah. you, know? Uh, you know, San Diego state, they haven't lost yet. You know, Wyoming hasn't lost yet. There's undefeated teams. SMU hasn't lost yet. all over the place. That's crazy. You know, under, it's early, but like a loss could eliminate them from going to the new year six. Um, yeah. You know, the, those other games are conference games where you still could, you know, depending on, who you beat from there still win the conference championship and things like that. So yeah, it's going to be a great weekend. I think I really mean that this time. (laughs) He said with so much sincerity, we love it. It is though. It's going to be good. I'm excited. And if you guys want to follow along for all the Joey Chestnut stuff and the Cincinnati Notre Dame game, please make sure to follow me on Twitter at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M. I beat you to it this time. You did. You cut me off. Oh, I don't know what to do now. Uh, I'm at Twitter at Dan underscore Morrison 96. You can just look at me th- shouting into the void. It's terrible there. Uh, 
for all of the educated content, follow Dan. For all of the wild, crazy things that happen, follow me. Don't sound accuse me of putting out educated content. You put out, you put out very smart, like you say really smart things on Twitter, I think. So that's why if, even if we didn't work together, I would follow you. (laughs) Well, it's a compliment I don't deserve, but I'll take it. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) We should Uh, end every podcast with compliments, compliment hour. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. He hates it. It's fine. Uh, We're going to get there, you guys. We're going to get there. You don't have to give me a compliment, but give somebody a compliment somewhere. God. Like any any school, any team, any player. No. This is tough Mm. for him. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. I think. Oh. No, I I lost it. We were close. It was close. I like the stripes, the kind of effect stripes at Hawaii's current practice field that they play games at. There we go. Soccer stadium. The field Empty. stripes. Okay. okay. But Snaps I'll tell you what I don't field like. Stripes. Yeah. I'll tell you what I don't like is Central Arkansas's purple and gray stripes. We did not ask you for an anti compliment in that. I was situation. just talking about stripes. stripes. <laughs> no, we're only we're ending with compliments. So all right. There well, you go, Hawaii. Enjoy that one. Exactly. That one's on the house. <laughs> we're gonna catch you guys next time with a full recap from week four and see if I can finally. Gain some ground on Dan in the overall choices I've made so far. Yeah, don't think so. It's 37 yeah. to 11 to 27. It's not 21. looking great for me. I need some real big wins this weekend. So let's you do it. Got a couple chances. We'll see.